Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Hoop Chat. And in this episode, I just wanted to jump right into it and get started with just sharing my thoughts, I guess, on this past weekend in the NCAA Women's Tournament and just the basketball that was displayed. And honestly, yeah, the all three games, because you had the final four games... Iowa versus South Carolina. That was just an absolute war. <laughs> like just Caitlin Clark. I mean Caitlin Clark. Ah man, she is really something else. She truly is. Like she has that it's that thing when it's like you the player crosses half court and you have to know where she is cuz she can pull it from 35 easy, no hesitation, which is just something I've never seen before. For like watching women's college sports for me, which I, I'll I'll admit that I haven't watched my fair share this year, which I now instantly regret after this weekend. Um, but I think, and I think that's also what the great thing about this weekend was is just it kind of really put the women's college basketball scene on the map. And I mean, it's all people were talking about. I have some numbers for y'all actually that um. That final four game between Iowa and South Carolina had a 6.6 million viewership peak, which that was more than any NBA game this season. And that was the most viewed college basketball game, including the tournament, including the championship for men's or women's ever. So you have that. And then even the LSU and Virginia Tech game, the other final four matchup, they had a 5 million peak viewership the numbers haven't even come out for what today's game was the championship game i'm sure it's it's higher than both those figures like i bet money on that but um yeah i mean that just tells you right there the sport is growing more eyes are on it i mean this is a really good thing because now this is going to mean more revenue you know these ladies can start making bigger contracts i mean some of the contracts that you see the um the woman making the WNBA. It's like this just doesn't seem right, you know. So it's really great. I think this weekend, one of my biggest takeaways was just how much growth this is going to mean for the sport, and um, you know, just this overall progression. I think that's going to be great to see, and it's all thanks to these players. You know, it always comes down to the players. And you have, I talked about Caitlin Clark, just an incredible, incredible talent. And then you have Angel Reese on LSU, who, I mean, she is just a specimen out there. I'm not even sure how tall she is, but she's usually tossed on the court, at least from the games that I saw. Just blocking everything, getting every offensive rebound, finishing. Like in this championship game, which was an absolute war in the first half. In the third quarter, I had a moment too. LSU was able to pull away in the fourth. I mean, it was another great, great game. But um, in the championship game, there was moments where Angel Reese was bringing up the ball, just dishing, finding people on some you know, point forward vibes, which I thought was obviously really impressive. And then, yeah, just her ability to dominate down low. She's, she's amazing to watch. She's going to stick around. I think she's a sophomore or a freshman. No, she might be a sophomore. I'm not sure on that one. But um, I guess I can look it up. But yeah, she's going to be awesome. And Caitlin Clark, she has one more year. I know that. So 
I'm definitely going to be watching her next year. I'm going to be watching. I'm like, this is really just, I'm, this weekend was great because it really, for me, I can say like, it was really sort of an awakening. Like, yo, these women are doing some amazing things on these court, on this court that I think more people need to know about. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, Angel Reese is a sophomore. But yeah, I guess those are really my thoughts on that. Shout out to LSU. You know, they won. That championship game, it was that first half, like I was saying, it was just incredible shot making. Caitlin Clark, she started, what, like five for five from three or something crazy. Um, but LSU, I thought it was a team effort from them, and which is why they won. Whereas Iowa felt like it was a lot of relying on Caitlin. LSU, like they have their own generational player in Angel, Angel Reese. And then you have, at least what I, from what I saw, it looked like the role players were just way better. Jasmine Carson, five threes in the first half. Um, Ladeja Williams, she had a big half. She finished with 20. And in the second half, I thought that's when Angel Reese and then Alexis Morris, number 45, they just took over. That Alexis Morris, I mean, the way she was just able to get to her mid-range every single time and just nothing but net, she, she's an impressive player. Um, so, yeah, shout out to LSU. They won. My final thoughts on that is... You know, there's the. This is really just sometimes people could just be weird on the internet, where Angel Reese she throws up the um, she does the you can't see me. I, I saw that, and then after that, I, I think it was she threw up the ring like she put her hand up, pointed to like the ring finger, you know, telling them to ring me. And there was some people was like, oh, that's just classless, da da da. But like, I kind of feel like that's just cool trash talk. I mean, not to even mention that Angel um no excuse me Caitlin Clark. In the game they played against Louisville in the tournament, she did the same, you can't see me, into one of the other players' faces. And you saw when Angel Reese was doing it to her, Caitlin wasn't really reacting. Because she's a trash talker, too, from what I saw. She definitely, you could see, like, her mouth be running, but she knows what it is. I'm sure it's not, like, personal, some off-the-court beef with them. I think that's just in-the-moment competitive nature. So, like, the people trying to, like, get on Angel Reese's case for that, I thought that was weird. But other than that, yeah, that was a great weekend. You know, big W for women's sports, women's basketball especially, and yeah. Guess we can talk about the men's now, which I don't really have too much thoughts on that. I mean, how funny is that? But yeah, I mean, UConn, I caught probably the most of that game, at least in comparison to the San Diego State and Florida game, which ended on a buzzer. Lamont Lamont Butler, excuse me. I just caught like the last minute of that game. He had a buzzer. I just saw them like, wow, okay, San Diego State just... They just won off that. I'm sure Kawhi was smiling somewhere. But yeah, UConn, they looked really good, though, against Miami. That wasn't even a close game. That was just UConn dominating them. That center they got, Adama, I thought he was really good for them. And um, yeah, we got UConn and San Diego State Monday night for the title. Um, predictions? I'm like, who, like, I'm acting like someone just asked me. Uh, I'll probably go... UConn, I'm not going to lie. UConn looks really good. San Diego State might be really good, too. I, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm not too familiar with that team. Not that familiar with UConn either, but they just look better in that little small sample size that I got to see. So I'm going with UConn. Um, yeah, that's it for the college side of things. I guess to wrap up the non-professional uh, topics, when Benyama, he had a play that went viral today where he... Just did this crazy dribble move for a step back three, which 
that or alone is already insane that he's seven two and he's doing between the legs like just like three four counter dribbles and stepping back at that size is just stupid. And then he got into a step back three, missed it. The camera's like following the ball, and then all of a sudden, like you, you see the you know you see the ball miss, and then all of a sudden you just see Wembenyama's head come from like the right side of the screen, and just high point the ball and put back dunk it like it was nothing. He probably took one step from the three-point line, just took off. He's, yeah, he's something else. So, you know, he'll be making his way soon. Um, yeah, that's it with, with that. And we can get into the NBA now. All right, starting us off in the association, we have the Phoenix Suns, who just got Kevin Durant back. Um, well, I guess they got him back on Wednesday against the Timberwolves. He was out for three weeks with the ankle injury. Struggled in that return game, I thought. I mean, well, he shot five for 18, so that, that just tells you a lot of the story right there. But you can definitely see that he was rushing his shots. Um, he even said how he was really nervous the night before. He didn't sleep, like really anxious and eager to get out there. And he felt as if that resulted in, in him rushing shots and, you know, not being himself. And another thing is, too, like that's a tough game to sort of get thrusted back into. It's, it was a playoff-like atmosphere. It was at home, so, you know, the crowd... You mix the excitement of them getting to see Durant for the first time and Phoenix, who was on a skid while Durant was out, you know, playing games, meaningful games that they're trying to win for playoff seating. And then on the other end, you have Minnesota, who just had got Carl Anthony Towns back. Anthony Edwards just came back for them and they're you know, starting to find their groove in another team that they're fighting for play in positioning. Like they're really in the the muck of the war. Phoenix is a little more comfortable in the standings, but Minnesota, all of these games are just basically playoff games for them. So you have that whole playoff atmosphere. And then on top of that, Jaden McDaniels, who has a strong candidacy for an all NBA team, just hounding Durant from the from tip off all over him, contesting every shot, making it tough, which is all you can really do. With players like that, you're not gonna stop them or shut them down. But you just gotta make it as tough as possible and hope that other you know, circumstances could influence, you know, a lesser night for these generational type guys. And that was the case for Durant first game back. The thing is, they still ended up winning. Booker finished with 29 points. He shot 12 for 15 from the free throw line, which I think is a very important progression that he's shown this season because we obviously know he can score, but he wasn't always getting to the line as much. And this is a team that, you know, they're dubbed, what is it, mid-range mafia, and it kind of implies that that's all they do in a way, which is kind of all they do at times. But Booker recently has been showing an ability to attack and get to the rim and draw fouls, which is which is growth for him. Yeah, he was 12 for 15 from the line, finished with 29 points. CP3 had 19 points in that game. He is honestly just getting wide open shots. And he's it, it, there's going to be a playoff game where Chris Paul... Hits a game winning three. I think that I, I, I think that's gonna happen because he's getting these wide open shots. And what what can the defense do? You have Durant on one end, Booker on the other end, you have Aiton rolling down low. And then depending on who that fifth guy is, it's it's someone that can really exist in that ecosystem when you have these four you know, really, really good players. So yeah, they was able to still win that Minnesota game despite a rough uh, game from Durant in his return. Um, 
one thing I did want to mention though was he was still pretty good defensively. I thought uh, when you consider the long layoff for him, just come back. He had some blocks, always contesting shots. Just the underrated part of his game is his ability to guard on the perimeter, but really anchor a paint down low. There were times where he was playing the five with the second unit, and he was just contesting everything against Minnesota, and he's been really good at that the latter part of his career, which is, I mean, that's, that's kind of wild. But, but yeah, they won the Minnesota game. Then they had the Denver game on Friday night. Denver sat the starters, so, you know, not too deep of an analysis here. They ended up winning that game. Um, they were up 20, and then they got down to four, I think, in the fourth quarter. And to me, that was really just a result of them being up a lot against a team that doesn't have their starters. And you, know, you can kind of coast throughout a game when you just know you have it in hand. But they got close. They were still able to pull off that win. And then the win today against Oklahoma City, uh, probably the most impressive win out of the three. Durant had 35 in that game. So he had 30 in the Denver game. Yeah, so yeah, he starts 5 for 18, then he has 30 in the Denver game on 11 for 15 shooting, which is ridiculous. And then he had 35 in this Oklahoma City game, um, above 50% shooting again. So yeah, again, that's just who he is. And it's it's resulting in wins. They're 5-0 and with him. He's, I think, 22 or... He's either 22, 23, or 24 wins to two losses in that amount of games. This is going back to Brooklyn before the injury. So when he's on the court, he's playing at a really high level and his teams are winning. And Phoenix, I mean, this it's scary hours. It's, it's looking like scary hours might be upon us in the desert. Here's some stats that I have for y'all. I just want to throw real quick. Lineups of Chris Paul, Booker, Katie, and Aiden, so their big four, are plus 33-point differential. They're scoring 129 points per 100 possessions, and they're holding opponents to 96.3 points per 100 possessions, which would be a top-five defense. This is a minimum of a 186 possessions, so it's not the biggest sample size, but it's starting to get there. Um... It's all, all these stats per cleaning the glass. So, yeah, when those four are out there, they're unguardable and they're defending better than I think most people, including myself, expected. Um, And that's because, again, you have Duran, who's a really good defender, Aiden, Booker. You know, he's he at least gives effort on that end, I think. There was, there was some times in this Oklahoma City game where Shea was going at him, but he'll give you effort, which you can appreciate. And then Chris Paul, who that's the guy you can really pick on, and that is the weakest point in like in that lineup, of course, on defense. But he's a smart player, so he can kind of you know understand positioning, know where to be, and just try to be in the right place and hope for the best when they go at him. But yeah, they're they're they've been impressive on defense. Um, Monty, I thought he's done a good job mixing and matching with the lineups. It looks like you know when they between the big four, it's. Booker and Aiton, that's running with the second unit. And then KD and CP3 are the other duo that runs with the second unit. So I think that's that's the right approach. Because you have, you have Booker out there at all times. And then you have KD out there at all times. Where the defense has to worry about them. And then you have a guy like Aiton who can get his. And Chris Paul who can hit open shots. Which he's going to get a lot of. So yeah, I think Monty's doing a good job with that. 
And then for the second unit, you know, it's been a rotation of Biombo, Campaign. Those are probably guys that are going to be in that eight, nine man uh, playoff rotation. Then there's TJ Warren, Terrence Ross. With those two, I think it's depending on who's shooting it well that night. And they can maybe hide them on the more defensive, like, you know, the stronger defensive lineups that they can put out there. Tory Craig, who I think is going to play a lot for them. Um, Akogi, who's just amazing defensively when he's out there with them. And that's the guy who starts, and it's probably going to be him most nights closing in these playoff games, would be my prediction. Um, but when he's out there, like, he's going to get wide open shots, which he's he's improving. He's improving on hitting those shots. He's not where you really want it to be or need it to be yet, but, you know, he he's he's, he's getting better there. He's not shy from taking it, which is really what you want. I mean, defensively, he's one of the best players in the league on that end. And then offensively, like when teams are just leaving wide open, he's crashing the boards, getting offensive rebounds, creating second chances for this offense, which is the last thing that, you know, opponents need. So, yeah, Kogi's probably the guy that I think you slot into that fifth spot when it's do or die mode. And then they have um, Ish Wainwright and Landry Shamit if you really want to get deep into it. Um, Ish Ish hit some big threes in the OKC game, actually. But yeah, this team, they look really good. And it's crazy because it still doesn't even really feel like they've reached the... Well, obviously, they haven't just because of the amount of games that they played. But just when you watch them on the court, sometimes it could look a little bit choppy on offense. But they're just so talented when you have a guy like Duran or Booker who can just get you a shot off. Chris Paul has that ability. He had a couple of bailout, just deep threes that he made in this game. When you have those three guys who can really create off the dribble and bail you out, and then when the offense is humming, which we we've seen moments of it, but not as consistent maybe as you think. At least at least I thought it would be a little bit more consistent. But it's tough when you have Durant in and out of lineups, and you know I get that. Um, but yeah, it still hasn't really feel I feel as if we've seen the ceiling of what this offense could be, and it's already incredible. So yeah, Phoenix, keep an eye out on them. Um. And yeah, I guess we can move on to other NBA news that I had. Just really just can wrap up the episode. The Lakers are continuing to roll with AD. He had 38 games of 38 points, 38 points, and 40 today against Houston. So he's been going crazy. He had a weird moment in the Timberwolves game. I guess I shouldn't call it weird, but he fell and like he looked like he twisted his ankle when he landed. He was grabbing on it and rolling as like, the Lakers were back on defense. It looked like it was over for him. And then like a minute later, he's just back up, jumping up and down. I don't know, 80's weird, man. But he's been dominating. Uh, defensively, they're starting to look elite again. It's it's not bubble Lakers defense elite when they were just locking teams up. That whole season, not even before, even before they went to the bubble, that whole season, their defense was incredible that year when they won the championship. It's not at that level, but it's pretty good. You know, that lineup of AD, Vanderbilt, LeBron, and then pick the guards, D'Lo, Schroeder, Malik Beasley, whoever. But I think when you have those three guys out there, defensively, they could they could reach pretty high levels. Um, so, yeah, that's up on the Lakers front. The Pelicans are your eighth seed right now in the West. They've won seven of their last eight. Uh, they could get that sixth seed, honestly. Depending on how this last week goes, they are currently just a half game out of the sixth seed. LA Clippers are six right now, who they just beat this past weekend. 
Kawhi had 40 in that game. But Brandon Ingram, I think he finished with, what, 35? Just going toe-to-toe with him in that fourth quarter. And he ended up making more plays and got the team to win. I mean, there was some passes that he was making, which I think has been a development for him. Being able to play make. Because there's times where it feels like not much people face the amount of defense and shading and help that he faces. Especially, you know, you have Zion out. But it feels as if teams are playing off guys like Herb and uh, Trey Murphy at times who's been making them pay lately. You know, dudes like CJ. Like teams are just real comfortable with not focusing too much on them and uh, putting all that focus into Brandon Ingram. But he's been stepping up to the plate, making plays, still getting his 30. So, yeah, shout out to the Pelicans. They're your eighth seed right now. We're still waiting a Zion return. Um, so we'll see. Uh, the Celtics, they had a statement win against the Bucks on Thursday night. The final score, what, was like 140 to 90 or something? It was it was a beating. A, a real beat down. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously the Celtics aren't that much better than Milwaukee, as the score would indicate. But I thought it was a statement for the Celtics. I thought there's some takeaways from that game, like how well they guarded Giannis, which they've shown the ability to do in the past. I'm remembering that game seven where one of the big storylines, of course, was Grant Williams hitting, what, five, six threes, whatever it was. But I thought the real important storyline was Giannis, the the defense that the Celtics played on Giannis and how they really made everything hard on him when he finished like 11 for 27 that night or some shit. Uh, Yeah, and it was that same defense on Thursday that he had to deal with, which was part of why it was a blowout. Um... And yeah, and there's there's not there's no team in the league I think that is better equipped than Boston to really make life difficult on Giannis because you have Al, you have guys like Grant, you can, you can sort of get away with sometimes switching Tatum and Jalen Brown on him just because they have size and they're really athletic wings. Um, Time Lord is always lurking. He had a block on Giannis the other night in that game where it was just like, oh yeah, that's, this is what he brings to the table, you know. You're, the guy will get beat, whoever on the Celtics will get beat, and Timeline will just be right there to clean it up, no matter who it is, even if it is Giannis. So, yeah, Celtics looking good again. They are, let me see, they're two games behind Milwaukee. They had that silly loss against the Wizards, which was one of those games where they just didn't wake up for it. You know, think you can get away with it, but the Wizards are a little more talented than people would probably expect. Porzingis has been balling for them, and they was able to win that game. So yeah, had they won that game against the Wizards, it would definitely make it easier for them to get that one seed. But two games back, even if they don't get it, you at least like to see them finish out the season on a high note like this. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll talk about the Celtics a lot more, I'm sure, on the next coming episodes. Dallas, they lost again to Atlanta, despite Kyrie having 41. And that team is just free-falling right now as we speak. They are. It's crazy because Oklahoma City lost. So Dallas is still only a game behind Oklahoma City right now for that last playing spot for that 10th seed. It's a three-game losing streak for them. Three and seven in their last 10. I talked. I've, I honestly have talked about this team enough. I'm, I'm all set on them, man. Um, yeah, and then... Some injuries, unfortunately. We had Nas Reed, broken wrist. He's out for six weeks. Randall injured his ankle. He'll be out for three weeks. Um, so that six weeks, Nas Reed, 
Hopefully you get him at the end of the first round, maybe. If, if my, like, just off-the-top math is right right now. Maybe that's even the second round. I'm not sure. So who knows if you're going to see Nas Reed again, which sucks because he's been amazing this year for them. Um, he's going to be a free agent, so he's definitely going to get himself a bag, a well-deserved bag. Uh, and Randall out for three weeks, that's going to definitely leak into the first round matchup for them. And that's a guy they rely on heavily, who's been really great for them. All-NBA type season from him, so that's a tough blow. And then Grayson Allen, I just saw that he injured his ankle in the game that Milwaukee beat Philly in tonight. Uh, no status on that as of now, so we don't know how bad it is, but... I mean, that's a guy that plays for them. So these are, it's rough to see injuries happen to teams that are, you know, fighting for playoff seeding and guys that are actually really contributing to these teams. It's, it sucks to see that, but yeah, I just have to give a quick update on that. And then last, last thoughts, the new CBA dropped. Don't have too, too much thoughts on it because I don't know all the details and there's a lot that I need to learn about that before even really understanding it. Uh, if I'm being honest, but I did see that one of the things that came out of the the new agreement between the players and the owners was that now it just really makes it hard for teams that are willing to spend a lot of money and go over the tax to not spend that anymore. I think it stops at a certain amount now where before the owners could just pay more and more past, like they can pay a player and have a more expensive salary if they're willing to go over a certain limit which would then get him into the tax luxury where they're just paying extra amounts of money, um, you know, to pay the players to have this, to have the roster that they have. So I guess now there's a limit on that. And the idea is it favors, you know, smaller market teams is how it's being presented to us. But really, I, I just think it is rewarding teams who aren't willing to spend as much. Because, for instance, the Warriors owner, Joe Lacob, spends the most out of anyone. But he's in the bottom third as far as wealth goes for these owners. So it's not even like a small market thing because these owners have deep, deep pockets uh, for some of these small market teams who are just not willing to spend. So I feel as if it kind of rewards that, which sucks. And then it also rewards shitty drafting, too, because these teams... You know, if they hit on some guys like Oklahoma City, for example, they've hit on a few guys now. You know, Jalen Williams, Josh Giddy. We still haven't even seen Chet yet, but you know, there's obviously high hopes with that. The other Jalen Williams, like they, they've been hit in the draft, and you can see what it's meant for them. Like everyone expected them to tank the season. I'm sure they even expected it. Not the players and the coaches, but management. Just you know what what they were going for, especially with Chet out. And here they are, we're sitting today, they're a 10th seed. So, you know, teams should be drafting well too. Like, we shouldn't just give them more money to spend because A, their owners are not spending, and B, because they need the players since their rosters are just shit. Like, if your roster is shit for a year or two or three, maybe you should be able to be, you know, at that point you should really be able to be getting some good guys in the draft if you know what you're doing. And for some of these rosters who haven't, which there's there's a few of them, um... It just, I don't know, it doesn't feel right right to see that, you know, this sort of just goes their way. But yeah, that's all I have. Um, I guess that's all I have for this episode. Thank you for listening. Continue to share, you know, leave a like, subscribe, follow the feed. Check out the Richie and Mecco connection on our other feed. We'll have an episode out later this week. 
Check out all the wrestling pods that dropped. I know WrestleMania just happened this weekend, so I'm sure the guys will have an episode out on that really soon. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, follow us on Instagram, TikTok. You know, link, links will be in the bio or whatever you call it. I don't know, I'm just rambling out. I'm tired. <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you soon.